Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Today on the Focus on Why podcast, I am joined by Camilla Long. Camilla, welcome. Hi, Amy. Great to be with you this afternoon. And where are you joining us from? Well, Amy, I would love to say I'm joining you from a beautiful, sunny location. I am very often joining you from a beautiful, sunny location. At the moment, I'm looking out at the beautiful sea on the north coast of Ireland. But unfortunately, it's probably a little bit more on the grey side today than I would like. No problem. Well, you know, it's grey here in London as well. So I do like all the autumn colours. So I'm just looking out at all the leaves that, well, leaves after the, the few winds we've had recently. So tell me what it is that you are occupying my time with right now, Camilla. Amy, it's a busy time at the moment. Um, I am a public speaking coach. I typically work with business owners, leaders within companies. I historically have helped them to get up on stages and to really share their message in front of audiences at events, at sales pitches. I suppose that in, in a lot of situations where you might look out and see yourself facing a sea of faces. Um, I am speaking to you now at the end of 2020 in a world when everything has been turned upside down. And it's been quite amazing to me how quickly the world has adapted to virtual communication. And I know all about that because I literally have spent this year working with people to help them to adapt their communication style to make the most of these virtual mediums within which we find ourselves all the time. So I spend a lot of time coaching teams on group sales pitches. I help people to adapt those keynotes to a Zoom webinar, for example, when perhaps they've been used to standing up on a stage in front of a large audience in an auditorium or at the moment, one of the things that's a really special part of my job, I work with TEDx curators and I'm working at the moment on, uh, I think, maybe about 30 different TEDx talks at the moment, many of which will actually be delivered virtually to live stream events. Well, that's fantastic. And how did you find out that public speaking was your thing? Because most people shy away from it. You're absolutely right. Um, there is a book out there which is called And Death Came Third, because if you were to ask most people in developed countries around the world what their number one fear is, believe it or not, about 70 to 80 percent of people would step up and say public speaking is exactly that. Um, and incidentally, the number two fear is walking into a room full of people that you don't know. So you can imagine what's happening to people now when suddenly they're being thrust into an environment where they have to step up and perhaps deliver a webinar to a room full of people that they don't know and, and to get out there and to get those public speaking um, tones on there. Um, I suppose I, I probably have come to public speaking coaching very much from the background of somebody who has really learned by having to get out there and do it myself. By background, I'm a computer scientist. I studied computer science at university. 
I'm a software developer. And I think probably when you think of that trope where you think of that stereotype, you do tend to think of people who are definitely on the more introverted part of the spectrum. And, and that is absolutely where I sit. So um, I did find myself as a software developer working away. Um, my first job role was actually in Tokyo in Japan, believe it or not. I took a graduate job with Mitsubishi in Tokyo, worked there as a software developer. But things have a habit of seeking you out and what's for you doesn't pass you, pass you by. I ended up in Tokyo at a time when uh, the Japanese stock exchanges were making a, a huge investment in an electronic trading platform at a time when the whole, I suppose, the rest of the world was still, you know, trading stocks and shares over the phone. And the Japanese stock exchanges were really pushing ahead and becoming the most advanced platform in the world. So there I was in Tokyo as a young graduate with a background in technology at the time that this huge technological disruption was taking place. And an opportunity opened up for me to join uh, a large global organization to work in the business development side of the technology industry. So I found having a technology background was extremely helpful to explain um, to all of my clients, you know, very much in layman's terms or in, in terms that would make sense to different stakeholders around the table, the benefits of technology. So I really ended up working in um, in in um in the capital markets for a large, huge part of my career in sales and business development. So that absolutely forced me out of my comfort zone. I had to learn approaches and techniques to bring people to my point of view. I had to get in there and I had to close the sale. So they're really skills, I suppose, that I picked up myself the hard way. And it's something that I use now to help my clients, to, to help them to communicate what it is that they do in a way that makes it relatable to the audiences they need to connect with. And you say you pick them up the hard way. Is there an easier way? Well, I had a little bit of a light bulb moment. I, I, I haven't been a public speaking coach all my life. I um, Myself and my lovely business partner got together just over five years ago. And we decided to set up Bespoke Communications, our own um, people development agency to help people with communication skills at that time. And that moment when we came together to do that really had been born of a moment that I'd had at work, maybe a couple of years prior to that. And really, I had a bit of a light bulb moment because I was sitting in a room surrounded by extremely talented people. My job role at that time was within Ulster University, a leading university here in Northern Ireland where I'm based. I was an advisor to creative industries and a whole sector of, of industry that I'd really never worked in before. Being a computer scientist and having worked in the financial markets, I very much came at life from a, a logical point of view, from where, where there was a rational business case for everything that you did. And suddenly I was surrounded by all these amazing creative people, um, people who were running companies that were maybe developing animations that were being seen by millions of people around the world from people who are, you know, at that level of, of the industry, right to young graduates coming out and experiencing their first job or startup businesses. And what I realized as I sat in a room surrounded by these people, I realized that some of the most capable, funny, competent people in this world, these were people who shared, who had a background that was completely different to my own. I had this realization that the most expert, capable people in the world sometimes feel powerless. They feel like their life choices are limited. 
that maybe they're living a life that's being dictated by other people. And the reason why I realized that people were actually making that choice was that they felt as though their life was being dictated by forces outside of their own control. And, you know, as I watched those creators battle for funding and battle for budgets and, and battle to win contracts, I realized that, you know, there, there are things that go on inside our own heads that perhaps if we're able to overcome some of those limiting beliefs that are happening, that are going on, that are playing themselves out in our brains, that actually the world can be a different place. And that was really where the idea came to me that um, by helping people with their public speaking, with to, to coach people with their presentation skills and, and encourage people to be able to tell their own story their way, that actually could open up a whole world of possibility and really um, working at Ulster University, that, that is what I did for a number of years. I worked on a, an economic development programme there, helping those businesses to get started and helping them to seize all sorts of opportunities. And you mentioned earlier about the TEDx. How have you got involved in TEDx? Oh my goodness me, it's 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 one of those things where there's a little, I, I firmly believe there is an invisible red thread that weaves its way through people's lives. And when Sarah and I set up Bespoke Communications, we were approached by a really amazing lady, um, Eva Grossman, who is the curator of TEDx Stormont. Eva brought TEDx to Northern Ireland before TED was ever a thing. She ran the first TEDx Stormont event, I think, way back in 2013 and invited speakers to take to the stage to share these wonderful ideas. And that was a completely new concept at the time. And when we set up Bespoke Communications, Eva approached Sarah and I to help with, um, I think at that stage, it might have been her third TEDx Stormont event. And we stepped in and um, Sarah hosted the event and we got stuck in with some of the speakers and met a couple of the speakers and had the opportunity to help craft their, their talks. And from that moment forward, a really fabulous partnership was born. I think we've worked on seven or eight different TEDx Stormont events ever since and have worked on countless other TEDx events too with curators where we've had the opportunity to work with really, really talented speakers and got a little sneak inside preview to those ideas that were shared on the red dot at those fabulous TEDx events. Really amazing to, to, to have the opportunity to help people to really give voice to something that comes from so deep inside them is such a privilege and an honour. And have you taken it online? At the moment, believe it or not, I am currently working on four different TEDx events, many of which were planned pre-pandemic. And uh, when COVID struck, lots of plans got thrown up in the air. And a number of those events are actually streaming. Um, TEDx Derry, London Derry, the very first ever TEDx Derry, London Derry will take place in January of 2021. Um, hopefully that will be a live event. Hopefully government guidelines will allow that event to take place as an in-person event. But there are lots and lots of contingency plans that um, are in place to allow that to take place as a live stream, should that be necessary. I'm also working on TEDx Queen's University Belfast at the moment and uh, top secret, but a lot of those speakers have actually had a chance to deliver their talks. They will be released to the world in January when the live stream event takes place. 
Amazing. It is incredible that the, the opportunities that TEDx give for people to give that platform and, and share their ideas. And, and that's the, the sort of premise is to, to literally share these new break breaking Oh, what's the word? Breaking news ideas, I guess. It's, it's fantastic. I think uh, there's a TED and... talk inside you too, Amy. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll I'll see. There's um people say there's I've got books, I've got speaking events. I don't know what well, I've got inside me, of, but it's all coming. You've inspired plenty of people in your time. I, I know that there's a TEDx idea in there that's just bursting to come out. We all have it, actually. It's you know, inside inside all of us, there is this idea that you just want to give voice to that you know will help other people and. Uh, I know there's one there for you. Oh, that's very reassuring. Thank you. I will be working on that next. It's on my list. (laughs) So in terms of communication and for people to get their ideas heard and, and sort of be that visible, what is it that you help people to do? Well, you know, there are a lot of things that we can do. Um, I always say, look, I'm never going to stand and work with somebody and say, you know, you've got to speak like this. You've got to change your vocal tone. You've got to use more gestures. Actually, the very first thing that we do is, you know, every presentation you give is a version of a TEDx talk. Really, you need to work out you and the connection that you've got to the message that you want to relay. And whether that's a sales pitch, honestly, or it's a TEDx talk, actually all presentations begin and end with you. Because even if you are looking at a sales pitch, People buy from people. It's an ancient old um, hackneyed phrase, but it is the truth. And there needs to be a little bit of you in there. So the first thing I would say very often to people who are feeling anxious or nervous or feeling like they do not want to get up there and and, and stand in front of other people and give voice to that, to, to what it is, whatever it is, is sometimes it's a question of getting out of your own way and allowing yourself to do that and to really examine what it is that's holding you back. So if you can really delve into the mindset of a great public speaker, that's really the beginning and end of every great public performance. Is Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. It was Henry Ford who said that, and it's so true when it comes to public speaking. And you use the word there, performance, and actually that's probably the one to focus on more. It is a performance. It is a, a connection that you are making with people. You're right. And actually, my business partner and I, um, we really couldn't be more different as people. I am that rational computer scientist. I think, you know, I don't have time for games. If I'm going to get out there and say something to people, I'm going to say it like it is. Um, Whereas Sarah has always enjoyed drama. She enjoyed performing as a child. She has a fabulous musical voice. She gets she she was very comfortable with getting up on the stage. So when she thinks about um, delivering a talk or getting up on a stage to host an event or you know even for many years she worked um she was the uh, the lead news anchor for BBC Newsline here in Northern Ireland and in every one of those roles she would consider herself as stepping into a persona she would consider herself as adopting some other kind of persona to get out there and to deliver the performance of a lifetime whereas I always felt like no that just feels fake to me that's just not me that's just not how I can go about it but even for me who really I can't cope with the idea of putting on a persona I feel like what you see is what you get there is an element of giving it 10% extra because when you are standing up on a stage or you are um, you know appearing on a screen in front of people 
you've got to inject the energy into that, dare I say it, performance. You've got to give it that extra 10%. Otherwise, it just feels as though you don't care. And if you sound like you don't care about what it is that you're talking about, why on earth should your audience care? So it's tapping into the emotions. 100%. Yeah, you're absolutely right when you say that. Um, and again, coming at things with, you know, I, I would ha- have often walked into boardrooms and looked at deals that were on the table, which ran into seven figures at times. And you will not get a deal like that across the table without appealing to multiple stakeholders within the organization, without making sure that what you've got to say appeals to the folks in technology just as much as it does to the folks in finance, as to the part of the business that you're actually seeking to improve with whatever your product or service is. You absolutely have got to have a business case. But without that emotional appeal, without somehow appealing appealing to that intuitive brain in in your audience you just won't get anywhere and that's something that I absolutely had to learn the hard way I know that as a young salesperson I would very often go in and my my business case would be immaculate it would be absolutely without without flaw it would be it would be perfect in every way but somewhere or another that competitor might swoop in and take that deal out from under my nose so you really did have to work hard on finding the drivers for whatever for whatever that purchase decision was what was it that really mattered to that person and finding the stories of people like them who had benefited from the service and that's me talking about something that's you know very hard and cold that's talking about business cases and sales pitches you can imagine how that completely gets um amplified when you look at something like a TEDx talk a TEDx talk has so much emotion at its very core and Amy you know when you look at that whole idea of of emotion in a in a communication it goes back to Socrates it goes back to thousands of years ago when we were all you know when when you look at those um emerging democratic societies in in ancient Greek and ancient Rome you know there are three kind of I suppose key core elements of every great emotive and influential um presentation and they are ethos pathos and logos now they are nice fancy greek terms for your credibility as a speaker your logic or your the argument that you're actually um delivering and pathos being the storytelling the emotion you've got to make that emotional connection for your presentation to resonate and to connect and you have those three elements, but they're not in the same proportion. Well, you probably don't really ever have a formula. Um, you've got to make sure that all you've, you touch on each one of those elements in turn. Um, probably you're right. Probably your ethos, your own personal credibility. A little bit of a nod to that here and there is what you need to be doing. But you do need to include it. You can't just assume that your audience knows who you are and why you're speaking to them. Um there are times too where the, when there's a friction between that logos and that pathos. There's friction between absolutely introducing the facts and figures and then making sure that you've got the um, emotional connection in there. But you're probably right. I think in the vast majority of cases, actually appealing to your audience, audience's emotion is going to be what gets that particular persuade, that particular presentation across the line. Because the reality is... You can't really persuade somebody. People persuade themselves. So it's up to you as the communicator, as the presenter, to give them the elements that they need to persuade themselves. You're talking about the ability to persuade people. And 
a lot of that comes through the storytelling, which you just touched on. How do you know what stories are going to work and what stories would sort of fall flat on the audience? Well, it begins and ends with that A word that you've just given me there, Amy. Um, it is about understanding your audience. Once you know your audience, I think those stories naturally fall into place. I and mean, we, we do it naturally ourselves. Uh, I'm the mother of two children and I know exactly um, how persuasive I need to be when, you know, there's demands for the PlayStation to come out all day long or um, when somebody wants to, you know, go out late at night and I'm not keen on that. Um, persuade pers the, the stories are what's always going to persuade and win somebody like that over there's no way a business case is ever going to get you to where you need to go with those ones so knowing your audience is absolutely key and you know there are some people who come to me with perhaps a startup business and there's a certain degree of assumptions that they're making in terms of the audience that they're trying to reach with their product and having those presentations and, have, and having those stories to share is how you'll find out very, very quickly if what you're offering actually resonates with that target audience. Because if the stories are landing flat, you know what? It's maybe time to change the value proposition there. And understanding the difference between a pitch and a presentation in terms of the sort of subtleties that would be involved and when would be the appropriate time to do that, it, how, how, how much do you sort of work with your clients to sort of understand that? Well, I think, to be honest with you, we're all in sales all the time, whether we like to think of ourselves as salespeople or not. I'm somebody who has carved out a professional career in business development. So um, I think probably if you looked me up on a, on a census or on a register, I would have been one of the, uh, the one in nine of the modern British or Irish economy who work in sales. So if you're to look up, um, you know, a, a breakdown of, of job roles, believe it or not, one in nine of us actually work directly in sales. So our job is to influence other people and to persuade other people and to try and bring in business. But for the other eight out of nine people, I think if you were to actually look at how they spend their day, the reality is, regardless of what it is that you do, whether you're a doctor or a teacher or a civil servant, if you really break down your activities throughout any given day, you will find that a huge proportion of your day is spent persuading other people to your point of view. My best friend, my bridesmaid at, at, at my wedding she is, is a surgeon. When I put this to her, she absolutely disagreed with me. She said, you know, what? I didn't go to medical school to sell people on any ideas. But the reality is, while some of the time she's, she spends diagnosing um, people's problems, if she can't influence and persuade her patients to buy into whatever course of treatment she's prescribing for them, ultimately their health outcomes will be different. And I think it's the same for teachers at school. Anybody who can persuade my 16 year old to put down his device for 10 minutes or for long enough to actually get his homework done, believe you me, they are absolutely in sales. So much as I think that um, there is, there are definitely distinctions and there are technical distinctions between a communication which is designed to sell a product or a service and perhaps a, you know, a, a communication to rally the troops. I kind of think we're pitching all the time, if the truth be told. Sounds exhausting. <laughs> yes, it can be. It absolutely can be. But it can be very exciting and very motivating as well. 
It's brilliant. And and sort of see the the steps and, and they are logical steps of where you went, because that's kind of the way that you you followed your through your career in a logical way. If someone had told you coming out of university that you'd be doing what you're doing now, would you have believed them? Um, I don't think I would have disbelieved them. Um, but nobody can ever really tell the path that they're going to take, can they? I mean, I studied computer science, but probably if I look back at my school days, you know, the subjects that really made my heart sing and that really brought me to life were those communication subjects were English and French most definitely were the subjects that I absolutely loved. But I got a lot of personal satisfaction out of problem solving too. So, you know, who could have possibly predicted the career path? One thing I would say is um, certainly working within the technology industry is something that opens up a lot of doors to you. So if you enter an industry that's growing, an industry that has um, a lot going on in it, I think it's easier to carve out a niche for yourself than perhaps if you're in, a, in an industry that's shrinking. And also you get the opportunity to, to work with the creatives, which you can't help but be swept along with. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, certainly for me, with my background, my business background and my technology background and my my logical approach to life, coming together with Sarah, who as a news journalist, for her life was always all about the story. She's an avid collector of people and the stories that go with them. And I think for both of us to, to marry our skill set, we've both learned so much from one another. She has absolutely given me so much creative input into what it is that I do. And I know that um, she would certainly say that that whole idea, she would have never considered herself, for example, as a news, news anchor, as having had a job role in sales. But then when she looked at it, she considered the fact that when she delivered those headlines at the top of the news bulletin, her job was to make the viewer stay with the program for the duration of the program. So in many ways, she was really selling her viewer on connecting with the channel that she was that she was with. And I was recently interviewing somebody and talking to them about the, this, this sort of importance of communication, but also the importance of relationships within a work environment and how it tends to be the people stuff that sort of dominates in, in any community or any kind of interaction in the office. What is it that people come to you with, with a predominance of help that they need? There has been a shift in that, Amy. Um, you know, if you were to have asked me that question pre-COVID, I think the answer would have been a little bit different. Um, at the moment, for what it is that I do, there are two really, really key areas. Um, one is staff engagement. So at the moment where certainly if you're working in a, a knowledge based job, most companies are not back in the office full time. Most companies have people who are spread all over the countryside working from home. So for some companies, it's been, you know, nine months now since the team has physically seen one another in person. So the idea for leaders now to keep teams motivated to keep teams together to keep everybody on task and to keep everybody feeling like they're part of the culture of, of a larger organization you know that's something that people are actively and consciously doing a lot of work on and believe it or not for some of those um, businesses that I'm working with some of those companies that I'm working with they actually say that it's brought them closer together that there is shared intimacy going on now that um, with everybody working from home 
people know more about one another's daily lives and the routines. They've all met one another's kids. Most have met one another's dogs and cats and pets at this stage. So everybody has a much better understanding of one another. And if the leadership has really worked hard and trying to maintain that cohesive whole, it's been actually in the middle of all the challenges that are going on. It has been a positive experience for those teams. So the whole staff engagement piece is really, really big. But another part that actually has exploded, um, certainly for me personally, has been the whole idea of pitching online. You know, your competitors are investing in their skills. You now need to get on that pitch and you need to look like you're in control of the brief. So how do you bring the whole team together to look as though this is something that you're very comfortable with doing and that you've got a great degree of competence in. I am amazed, you know, actually at every event that I go to, how, you know, how fast things have moved in six, eight months. So I, I feel like some of the webinars I attend, they have the production value of, of a TV show at this stage. And so if your competitors are getting out there and they've got their head around all of that, um, a lot of companies are sitting up and saying, do you know what? We need to be at the game too. So absolutely sitting down and helping people to rehearse those sales pitches has been a, a large part of my work in the last, um, well, certainly eight months. It's interesting that you say that we're now all become these sort of TV shows from our home offices. And and it it is an opportunity for us to be on a level playing field because we've all been sort of thrown into a situation, albeit now that people have had the time to get more tech to, to their fingertips. There is still a... A sort of a requirement, requirement, but people really still like being in person, and and that does have that extra dimension of clearly of being in three D as opposed to this the two D in a box version. Have you have you seen um, any signs of work suffering, or has it all been quite positive and people have embraced it through being online? Oh, I think people are missing the, the water cooler moments and they're missing the crack. Um, absolutely, they are. There's no question about it. And I don't know, I mean, what your social media feeds are like, but at the moment I'm seeing some really fabulous events that, um, you know, event production companies are putting together for Christmas parties. So, you know, we may not all come together in person, but absolutely companies are doing their best to make people feel as though, you know what, there is hope. We will see one another again soon. And here we all are coming together as a team. So, yeah, look, those those chit chats, those nice relationships that you build up in the office, the, the people that really keep you going, there's no question, but that's difficult. I know one of the challenges that um, some of my clients have come to me about is that is the whole idea of, you know, what happens when you have a challenging conversation with a client? It used to be that you could turn to, you know, your colleague who sat beside you to your left and you could almost kind of debrief on that conversation with them. Now you're maybe looking at the four walls or you're looking at your toddler or you're, you know, looking at, um, you know, the spare bedroom at home and you're thinking, this is a really lonely place to be. So I I think, again, it's, it's about leadership recognising that these are the emotions and these are the feelings that people are having. And, and maybe, you know, it may seem a little bit contrived, but I think things don't happen unless you consciously put them in the diary. But having those... I suppose, regular touch points that people have got the opportunity to, to let off steam and to share what's been going on and, and to, to do that in a safe place of psychological safety where they can do it without judgment, where they can do it without shame, where they can do it, where actually they can then rally around and support one another. And going back to the why, 
Why are you doing all of this? What is it that drives you? Yeah, I mean, you, you don't come on a, a Focus on Why podcast without thinking really hard about that question. And I know, you know, for years I've thought about it and I've thought about, you know, I'm an oldest sister, so I absolutely get so much um, personal satisfaction out of seeing other people do well. And if you have somebody who comes to you and you manage to, you know, set off a little light bulb in their head that transforms how they present or how they communicate or, gosh, you know, helps them to land that huge client deal. I absolutely take such pride in being part of that journey. And then when you go a little bit deeper again than that, actually, the reality is that it's probably it probably comes back to my own inner critic it probably comes back to my own you know maybe limiting beliefs but it's like every time I do that it's kind of like proving to myself that I can do it you know that I can actually be of value to somebody else and that I can help somebody else so it probably is a little bit of you know helping with that those insecurities too you know Amy so um it's about recognizing too what you know what what is it that really drives that sense of sense of satisfaction for for yourself and I think if I'm to be really honest about it, it does come back to, yeah, building your own self-confidence. When you see, you know, it's like if, if I stand and watch a TEDx event, it's almost like, a, like I'm a, you know, I'm a midwife who's delivered all those babies out onto the stage. It's an amazing feeling. And those hugs that we used to give one another as they stepped off that red dot, I definitely want to have that back in my life again soon. And you've been on that red dot yourself, haven't you? You know what, Amy? You've absolutely brought something up that I talk about at my master classes for TEDx. I always say to everyone who comes on those master classes, I, I just remind them of what heroes they are, that they are the ones that have said yes to their TEDx. I have yet to say yes to my own TEDx. I have coached at this stage literally well over 100 people for a, a TEDx event. I think it could be closer to 200 at this stage. And I have yet to do one myself. So that day may well come. Oh, it has to come, surely. There's a, a speech in itself that, you know, the TEDx coach that is yet to do their TEDx. <laughs> but in terms of, of why you're helping people with their communication and the better version of themselves, and you said that that gives you that buzz yourself and, and the increased self-confidence. Is there, is there more? Is there a sort of an aspiration that you want to achieve? Amy, it goes back to, honestly... I, I put myself back in those boardrooms in Tokyo 20 years ago when I first stepped into the, that role in business development. And I will never forget how it felt walking into those boardrooms and that imposter syndrome absolutely crowding in. But I mean, I had never heard Amy Cuddy had yet to give her absolutely famous TED TED talk at that stage but I completely recognized that that was impossible what the heck am I doing here what I mean I grew up on a farm in rural county Meath in the middle of Ireland you know I, I fed calves up until you know a year ago what on earth am I doing in this boardroom pitching these people and asking them to spend this amount of money on a system that I'm part of and the feeling when you got people to sit up and to take notice of you and for your voice to have value and for your voice to be, uh, for your opinion to be sought out in relation to these huge, huge momentous decisions, there's nothing like that, Amy. And if I can enable other people to feel like that, to feel like they too have found their voice and they have helped other people to look at them differently in their job role, that is 100% a day well spent. 
mission accomplished. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. So what's next on the horizon for you, Camilla? Well, I think um, the events of the last year have absolutely, like everybody else, I think, given me pause to sit back and to think about what it is that I do. And up until this moment in time, I have children who are still at school. So that has been a large priority for me is having the ability to be at home more than if I were in a job role, which involved a lot of travel, usually in sales and business development. You are away because your customers need you to be in front of them. So I was very pleased to be able to have my own business and to have my own company in order to be able to be in control of my diary and to be in control of my time. Um, and to be at home, you know, with the children and with the family as and when. What this last six or eight months has done is it's opened up a whole new world. It's opened up um, the ability for me to connect with clients who are not just physically located on the island of Ireland or even, you know, a short um, plane ride away into, into, you know, cities in, in Great Britain. But, you know, I've now got the ability to work with clients no matter where in the world they're located I, I have um, speakers now. I'm up since 5.30 this morning because I connected with a client in Australia very early this morning. So, you know, to be able to reach out beyond geographical boundaries is an exciting proposition for Bespoke Communications into 2021 and beyond. And that's what I love about the podcast because I too was up at seven this morning talking to Canberra. So that was... There you <laughs> <exactly>. go. Australia's <laughs> where it's at. Great minds, Amy. Yeah, it was crazy. It was really good fun. And, you know, she was just finishing her day and I was just starting my day. So, you know, we were both bleary eyed for different reasons. Yeah, there you go. There you go. But it is that. I mean, being able to to now be able to connect with people globally because we are now a virtual speaking world or we're a virtual hybrid world where we can both deliver in person and on the on the online platform at the same time and that does give us a huge variety of opportunities 100 100 i think it is being more tv presenter at the moment and develop those virtual communication skills because your clients are waiting to hear from you and they need to hear what you've got to say to them oh, fantastic so camilla it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show and, and talking more about how communications can be improved and how you're helping people with your bespoke communications business which sounds fantastic well done how would people get hold of you Well, LinkedIn is my platform of choice. Um, You can find me under my name, Camilla Long, not the Sunday Times journalist. Uh, Also, um, bespoke underscore comms on Twitter is a convenient um, platform too. And our website, bespokecoms.net. Thanks for the opportunity to share that with with everybody who's listening to this podcast, Amy. I must say, I do enjoy tuning in and I I very much look forward to hearing myself coming out through the speaker's um, in 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 your podcast oh it's been an absolute pleasure and it's been a long time because we, we've known each other since our kids were little so that was always a, a been a strange journey to now realize that they're almost adults I can't believe that we've we've managed it all the way through <laughs> I know I know it doesn't seem like that long ago since they were in Greenwich Park together Amy yeah isn't that it's a different world away so but it's been fantastic having you on the show. How would you like to leave the audience today with a, a sort of your final words of wisdom? Well, for me, I think it's you don't learn to dance 10 minutes before the ball. So I think if there's something that matters to you, if there's something that you've got to say, I think find sources of support around you to help you to find a way 
to share that message with the world. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via canonly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrowlandson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.